Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Happy holidays, Herstory fans. This is Whining About Herstory, the women's podcast that talks about women from history you may not have heard about and drinks wine while doing it. I'm Kelly. I'm Emily. And we're recording on some new equipment today. So fingers crossed it doesn't blow up in our faces. Yay! Optimistic nihilism. Yay! (laughs) Um, So we are super excited to join you again. It took us like... I don't know, 45 minutes to get set up and our mics and everything, but hopefully it's going to be easier and more consistent now because we're not fucking with my computer. That's just no more audacity. It basically, audacity is great. I love it so much. I mean, she'll still have to use audacity to edit, to edit, but to record, we're using, I don't remember what my husband called it now. The thing. The thing. We're the box call it of the magic. Thing. The box of magic. But I'm so we got call new, new mics, new mic stands, new cables. So hopefully we're coming through crystal clear. Yeah. And that now I don't have to try 80 trillion different settings on my computer to get our recording store. Right. So we so just hopefully plug now it'll and be play. Like 10 minutes to get set up and go. We're like a great vibrator. You just plug and play. Or unplug and play, you know, depending on the vibrator. Yeah. You know, they have those rechargeable ones with, like, right? USB cords. It's straight up magic. It is. I'm sure some people don't want to hear about that, but it is. It's magical. Hey. If there is a woman in your life, if you get her a rechargeable vibrator. If there is someone who enjoys yeah, vibrators in your woman. life, get her one of those USB ones. I had one with batteries, and that thing fucking ate batteries for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Like, <laughs> like three minutes in, it dies on me. You're and like, let well, me tell fuck. you, no woman gets off in three minutes, okay? <laughs> if any woman ever tells you she does, she's she either, pre, she either pre-gamed and started herself, <laughs> or she's lying. She was, like, on the edge, and you just got just her across her the finish yep. line. <laughs> Sorry, what is this podcast? Women getting off? Yep. Through it's, history. It's yeah. All right. So I do have a say their name and I'm it's a, it's a repeat say their name, but I think that's Ooh. okay. So I mentioned, I think it was a couple episodes ago. Two episodes ago now. Yeah. Um, Bonnie Fillenworth, who's doing the pins for the anniversary of women's suffrage. Her and a group of other ladies are like local ladies from where she lives. They're starting the first independent women's history library. Oh. <gasps> Which is super cool. So they're doing, they're currently doing a fundraiser on it on a website I didn't know existed. It's called I Fund Women, which I didn't know existed. So I'm gonna have to like what super look into this. Um, but we'll we'll shout it out on our social media too. But yeah, so it's it's gonna be a pop up library during Women's History Month with community events showcasing inspiring female trailblazers. Where is this? Um, that's a great great question i i hoped it would be a great question thank you for validating my curiosity i don't know <laughs> i want I'm, it to I'm, be within I'm, driving distance i'm scrolling and i i don't i don't know i'm sure it says somewhere we'll figure it out and we'll we'll boost on social media yes and like i said we'll we'll in indiana it's not within driving distance uh, indiana well okay i used to drive to indiana when i lived in illinois but it's a little further now i mean I don't know. Maybe if it's not too bad, maybe maybe we'll drive to Indiana. Yeah, in March. Maybe that'll be our first like um, herstory road road trip. trip. 
my story today actually has a bit to do with Indiana. Wow, look at that. Yeah. So yeah, so this is going to be run by women in, and independent. So it, it should be it should be great. Um, they've so far collected over 1,300 women's history books. Um, they also have podcasts. So yes. go listen to those. Um, and they've served thousands of women with their message, which is we care about women's history, so we share women's history. They eventually want to open a full-time library, but they think it's going to take them a few years to do it, which yeah. makes sense. Um, so, yeah, they want to do a month-long pop-up location in Indianapolis, Indiana. This is their pregame. Yeah. This is their pregame. Their so, yeah. sexy women's history library pregame. But, yeah, so they're doing a crowdfunder for it. Um, uh, money goes toward the site expenses, programming expenses, refreshments, rewards for backing, and then just funding it in general. So I, I, I think it's going to be great. Like I said, we'll we'll shout it out on social media and everything so people can look at it. Um, go I think, donate. I think it's great. Yeah. Go donate. Go donate. Um, go look it up. Yeah. I really want to go. I know. So like, if it happens, we'll be going. Maybe maybe we can be like, hey, can we be like guest stars? Oh, my God. Hey, We're not that popular. Can we can we hang out in the corner and just go, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my yeah, God, oh, my God. That's <laughs> more likely. I'm just going to be running around the stacks of books going, I know her and I know her and right. we covered her and she's the best. Right. And uh, we'll probably just continue shouting this out up until the campaign runs out, which is about a month. It looks like it has 35 days left. Um, so we'll just c- probably continue shouting it out to get the word out there, because I, I think that's amazing and like an amazing thing to do. Excuse us while I uh, go donate right now. Right. I'm going to go fangirl a little bit. Yeah. I'm going to go freak out. All right. What are we drinking today? So, Why do we freak out? So uh, Kelly bought the wine, but I will be reading the description that she was kind enough <laughs> to take a picture Emily, of. Emily bought the last three, so I'm, I'm just trying to catch up. <laughs> so we are drinking some La Gitana Gold. It's very sexy. It, it, looks, has, a, it has a label that looks like um, like women, to me, like old-fashioned women's like hairpins. Like the, it does. The three-prong hairpins. Yeah, and it's like all swirly and gold and kind of looks like Greek almost. Like the yeah. illustration looks kind of Greek. It's Spanish, but it does look Greek. Yeah. Um, so it looks like this is just uh, a red blend. It's a Rioja, which I'm pretty sure just means red. Yeah. So I know Rojo is red in Spanish, but I think this is also... <laughs> it's super fancy. So the description is... It's full and fruity on the palate, yet has enough levity to allow the flavors to breathe. Strong barrel notes frame its salt, dried red fruit, and cocoa flavors. Ooh. Yeah. Damn. I, will, I, I googled Rioja just because I was curious. <laughs> this is um, a podcast about learning. So Rioja is a wine region in Spain. Um Rioja wine is made from grapes grown in the autonomous communities of La Rioja and Navarra. So, so it's was, actually like a specific type of grape. So I was completely wine. wrong about it. I mean, it, it is a red. red. It is a red. <laughs> but the word does not mean red. Okay. I'm glad you looked that up because now we can curious. educate yeah. our listeners and ourselves and I feel a little less stupid. Like I don't have to live with that shame because right. I know now. Now you know. It has a, a rating. Ratings on recent vintages, 2015 wine enthusiast, 94 points, which sounds respectable to yeah, me. That's right there. A nice oh, nice. Stamp on the. Very fancy. Yeah. All right. Well, Kelly, 
What are we cheersing to today? Christmas. Christmas. This will be the Monday before Christmas. Yes. Christmas. And whatever other holidays you yes. celebrate. Holidays. Let's go with that. Yeah. Happy holidays. We personally celebrate Christmas. Whatever you're celebrating or not celebrating, or if you're just like, everything is on sale and fuck everyone else, I'm getting myself a new sweater, you do you. Done that. Did that. Oh, yeah. Really comfy. There is a T-Rex, like a Christmas T-Rex sweatshirt at Ragstock, yeah. and it's been there, like- for you're the just, past you're just three waiting years for it to go on sale. Well, I'm I'm trying to talk myself into it because it's like, do I really want to spend yes. money on a yes, sweatshirt that I can only wear once per year? And I'm thinking the answer is yes. I bought, <laughs> we were supposed to buy ugly Christmas sweaters for the Christmas we have tomorrow because one of my husband's siblings works on Christmas Eve when we mm-hmm. normally do it, so we're doing it tomorrow. And I, I don't know if ours are ugly. Mine has a pug on it because pugs. I'll take a picture and um. My husband's has a picture of the Grinch, and it says "Resting Grinch Face." Love it! And I'm like, this is the sweatshirt I'm buying you. That is fantastic. Okay, so cheers! Cheers to, to holiday holidays festivities and just happy seasons, happy year end, and here's to a better 2020. Oh, I had to like think of what year. Fingers it was. crossed. Ooh, this is a nice little clink. These are pretty glasses. You know, when we Ooh. make our own wine glasses, we should make them like this. They are, are very nice. They are. And they have such a womanly figure. Yeah, they like, like hourglass. The hips mm. on this one don't lie. <laughs> no, this wine is good. It's it's almost a little muted. I feel like a lot of the reds we drink are really powerful. But this is just, this is a wine that's comfortable in its own body. You know? Okay, so normally when wines say oh hints of cocoa i usually can't taste it but i can actually mm-hmm. and for me it's it's actually i don't know if my taste buds are different now or what but like it's on the forefront not like yeah it's not like a back note like it's not like oh chocolate but it's like i can taste like that that bitterness and, and the bitterness of yeah like a good dark chocolate yeah no, oh, I. That is a good wine. This is definitely not a bottle that we're going to finish in one episode because this is a sipper. This it is, is this is a wine that makes you take your fucking time because it is worth it. But it, I think this one and the next, the other red I got, I both bought because of the season it is. Like I wanted something like warm that makes you envision like sitting by a fire because you know like. It's like negative something here. Maybe right. not today, but like the other day I got up and went to Target and it was like negative four outside. My car didn't even want to work. It was like, don't make me, don't make me. It always reminds me. I'll share this on our social media when I find it again. But out there in the world, there is a like little story someone wrote about, like, about how surviving Minnesota's- the Minnesota winter. <laughs> and it's about like how people get like super dressed up and travel in packs to go to target and if you yes. fall behind they just leave you to die it's so, like as a minnesotan i find it so funny and it is the most accurate thing ever like you stuff your snowsuit with newspapers yeah. of good news and yeah you have to trek yeah. to target it's funny <laughs> I'll, like i said I'll, I'll dig it up and post it on all of our social medias to let people get a kick out of it that one always makes me smile yeah, i know i see it every year and i'm like Yep. Yep. Heart. <laughs> All right. I'm going first it is. this it week. Is. It is the odd one. All right. So this week I am covering Zitkala Shah, who was a Native American writer and activist. Now, before I begin, 
Uh, this is a story about a member of the Dakota Sioux tribe. And there is there's a lot of talk and controversy and discussion about the appropriate way to refer to indigenous peoples of North America. Yeah, is it indigenous, Native American? Yeah. It, some, I'm sure there's other terms. Yeah. And, you know, they, they change. And also, even like, okay... Native American is too broad because people are members of individual tribes. Yep. So for the purposes of this story, I am going to use the term Native American just because it. I'm going to be referring to people in a very broad sense yep. because they were persecuted in a very right, broad yeah. sense but, indiscriminately of but like their tribe. But it is nice that you're pointing out that she specifically is from the Dakota Sioux, which is... They had a pretty huge area. Yeah. Like, do you know in general what region or did it not really say? Uh, I didn't get super okay. into it because the story is already very involved. I know at some point, I'm 90% sure at some point the Dakota Sioux um, were in Minnesota. I believe so. I mean, we have like Sioux And Falls. I mean, obviously, like we have. And we have the Dakotas. Like, we have yeah. the Dakotas. <laughs> but I so, mean, we don't, but... But so throughout the following story, I will use the term Native American when addressing uh, people as a whole, and I will use specific tribal names when appropriate. Um, if I do use the word Indian, it's only in instances where that was the title of something or it's from a quote, because that used to be the the broad term. And so there are a lot of organizations and legal acts and schools and whatever that yeah. had the word Indian. So if I'm using that, it's because it's in a quote or it was the name of something at the time. Okay. So if you if I'm getting this super wrong, please let me know. I tried to do my due diligence, but right. everyone kind of had a different opinion on it. So I felt this was my safest bet. Uh According to what I'm looking at right now about the Sioux tribe in general, they're s still in Minnesota, actually. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the reservations that they own um, or are on, I guess I don't know if they own them. I believe they're but, on them. That's like, we're not going to get into that. That's, that's a, a whole, whole other thing. Oh, my God. Um, but yeah, it looks like uh, they cover a good chunk of southern Minnesota. Actually, like, it kind of cuts diagonal across Minnesota. Oh, wow. So that's cool. Yeah, it is. All right. So now that I've gotten my I'm doing my best, please don't hate me speech out of the way. This is the story of Zikala Shah. So Zikala Shah was born as Gertrude Simmons on the Yankton Indian Reservation in South Dakota on February 22nd, 1876. So 115 years and one day apart from my birthday. Woo! She just likes picking people that are like her birthday twins. They choose me, Kelly. <laughs> they reach through time and they're like, Emily, we're birthday buddies. Tell my story. So I and got like, I will. I, I promise. Right. So I was a little confused. I kept reading that she was born Gertrude Simmons, but that was also like a missionary given name. But she didn't pick the name Zikala Shah until her teens because that was like a more traditional name. Yeah, so it could have just been that around the time she was born is when the missionaries were really big on the reservations. And, and so that's We'll just, get into that, but know. I couldn't quite figure out like, okay, did her mom pick her name? Did her dad like... like but she picked the names at Kalasha later in her life, and so that's how I'm going to refer to her throughout the story yeah, because it's perfect. just she she picked the name, so that's the name I'm gonna use. 
Zikala Shah was raised by her mother, Ellen Simmons, whose Dakota name was Thate Eowyn, meaning every wind or reaches of the wind. So it sounds like her mother had a westernized missionary given name, but then also a traditional Dakota name. I like, I like that name. Um, she grew up on the uh, Yankton, Indiana Reservation. Her father... No, I'm sorry. Yankton Indian Reservation. I'm like, I thought you said it was in South Dakota. I instinctively just wrote Indiana instead of Indian. Well, Jesus. Plus, we were just talking about yeah. Indiana. I'm so sorry. Okay, so she, she grew up on the Yankton Indian Reservation. Her father, a German-American man, abandoned the family when Zikala Shah was very young. So he's... He's not a part of the picture. And, and he, so he wasn't part of the tribe either. It no, sounds like. no. He's so a German American. That might be even more of a reason why, why she had a missionary based name when she was born. Yeah. So growing up on the reservation, Zikala Shah was taught the traditions of the Dakota Sioux. She grew her hair long, wore brown buckskin clothes and moccasins and lived in a wigwam, which is like a dome structure held up by a framework of poles and then covered in animal skins. She was an energetic, carefree child growing up and would run alongside her mother each morning as she went to draw water from the nearby river. Her mother, Ellen, however, was acutely aware of how their culture was quickly being torn away from them. On one trip to the river, Zikala Shah said that one day when she was grown, she would take trips to the river for water by herself so her mother wouldn't have to because she's just the perfect fucking daughter. Her mother replied, quote, if the pale face does not take away from us the river we drink. So her mother is like seeing like their way of life yeah. just crumble before them. And she's obviously very anxious and upset about it. Ellen had every right to be angry. When she and her tribe had been forced onto the reservation, many were or had become sick on the forced march. Oh, I'm sure. Despite this, no help was offered, and uh, Zikala Shah's uncle and sister actually died of the illnesses that they contracted on this, like, brutal march. I know this is terrible, but the first thing that popped into my head was the Oregon Trail and, like, getting that message, you died of dysentery. Yeah! Like... That's terrible, and I'm not trying to make a joke out of this, but I'm being honest with our listeners that that is what popped into my head. <laughs> well, and the thing is, it's, you know, it's a lot of that, those same problems. It's illness. It's exhaustion. You're running oh, yeah. into stuff in the wild, but there's no one that gives a shit about you. No, and you. that's terrible. Yeah. Despite this, Zikala Shah enjoyed the innocence that only children have. She watched her mother do beadwork, listen to the legends of her elders, and played with other children. So she's having like this really I'm just lovely. I'm glad that as a child, she must be at least somewhat being accepted because I'm sure at the time, especially with tensions that high, only being half Native American couldn't be easy. You know, I that never really came really? up in what I read. Well, that's good. There's there is a lot of because um, I know I've seen other stories that. People have had that issue that they're, right. you know, that they're, yeah, that they, you know, their mother got pregnant by some like white settler, mm-hmm. and, and then the it tribe was like, was like, I don't know if we want you, kind of a thing. And I'm not saying that's common. I'm just saying it's really nice to like see that obviously this tribe doesn't care. Well, there's just historically there is a lot of animosity towards mixed race children because oh, they just in those eras they're not seen as belonging to one or the other. There's yep. actually this great book. Uh, mixed and I'm blanking on the author's name right yes, now. That is she was a writer book. on Scrubs and she's a goddess. I want to say her name's Angela. I'll post about this. But she wrote about growing up being of uh, 
African and then European ancestry and how she just didn't fit in with anyone because she was too dark for white people, but she was too light for black people. Like no one get, like accepted her because of that. Are you looking up the author? <laughs> Is it a children's book? No. Oh, there's a there's a children's book called Mixed as well. Who wrote that one? Ari Chung. Oh, I would read that. I actually can't find another book called Mixed. I'll I'll post about it, but it's it's really good. But it kind of talks about that how you're too this or too that for everyone around you. So basically, Zikalasha is having this pretty nice traditional upbringing yeah. and she's just she's a kid she's having fun she's living her life it went on like this until Zeke Kalasha was eight years old in 1884 two missionaries came to the village they were there to take children away to the Quaker school in Wabash Indiana so Indiana yeah, does there come you up. the school was called White's Indiana Manual oh Labor gosh. Institute now here's the thing I think the dude who founded it that was his name Okay, I don't think I'm it like, was like that, this is for white people like, or to turn you into white even people. Even the fact that it's called like the Manual Labor School. Yeah, like, that's terrible. It's got a terrible, terrible name. And I even, I even put in my notes because they had to make the name as depressing as possible. The school was created to educate quote poor children, white, colored, and Indian unquote. For children of color, especially uh, indigenous children, this meant making them white. So it was all about assimilation to the predominant European white culture. Oh, yeah. Yep. So she did. So I found it. Okay. I just took a little extra searching. Her name was Angela Nissel. That's it. And it is, it is called Mixed. Yep. So I don't know why. Like the full title is... I literally just saw it and then I lost it again. It's like Mixed colon thesis statement. Yeah. But I can't find it now, That's, which is dumb. But yeah, so it's by, oh, Mixed, My Life in Black and White. Yep. Um, which is apparently, a it says a comedic look at growing up as a child of a biracial couple. No, it's it's an excellent book. It does ha it does tackle a very serious topic with a lot of humor and a lot of honesty. I highly recommend it. It's a quick read, too. I think I got it in college as a part of a book club that I read the book but never showed up for meetings because that would involve nice. talking yeah. with people. <laughs> And now we have a podcast where we just talk to each other. So it's perfect. Yeah, you're not people. You don't count. 244 pages. Yeah, it's it's a quick read. So yeah, people go look that up. Yep. Sorry, I keep interrupting you. No, that's... I'm, like, I'm going to Google shit. That's fine. We live in a culture where it's about now, 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 now. I want to know this now. And I'm glad Sorry. that you brought it up because I'm like, it's Angela something. Fuck, I can't I remember. Just, I live with someone who's very much like... I don't know the answer to this. Let me Google it. Thank God for Google. Okay. So this school was all about making you white and assimilation. That was that was the whole deal. Manual labor. And manual labor. Yes. Which is less white. <laughs> See, Kalashaw's older brother had gone away to the school years before and had returned to the village promoting more Western ideals. He convinced Ellen, uh, their mother, to replace the buffalo skins on their wigwam with canvas and then ev to eventually live in a log cabin instead of a wigwam. Ellen knew exactly what the missionary visits meant. But Zikala Shah did not. The missionaries talked of the exciting East and how it was much more beautiful than the village. Zikala Shah caught up in all the excitement with her friends, uh, was excited to go. Oh, she yeah, wanted sure. to go. 
It's like it's kind of like when the gold rush happened. Everyone was like, "Oh, these beautiful mountains, and you can find gold." And everyone was like, "Fuck yeah, let's go!" And then it was terrible. And then we got L.A. I would never want to live in L.A. I'm but coming. That's, that's a side. I don't know why I'm attacking L.A. I've never been there, but just from what I, I hear, have. it's I a have tough been place. There. <laughs> so she was, uh, in particular, very excited to try the big red apples that grew from the trees Aww. out east. Like, it, and I totally get it. She's eight years old. Oh yeah, like if I if you think about like me when I was eight, yeah, like you hear about something and it just you create all these fantasies in your head and you're like I don't care what it's actually like, like especially when grown-ass adults exactly. are feeding into those fantasies hard right so Ellen was not so happy about this she had witnessed firsthand what the missionaries had done to the tribe's children despite this she knew that their culture was slipping away and the only chance at survival was for Zikala Shah to become educated according to Zikala Shah's later writings her mother's response was this This is directly from uh, some of her writing. Quote, my daughter, though she does not understand what it all means, is anxious to go. She will need an education when she is grown, for then there will be fewer real Dakotas and many more pale faces. This tearing her away so young from her mother is necessary if I would have her an educate have her an educated woman. The pale faces who owe us a large debt for stolen lands have begun to pay a tardy justice in offering some education to our children. But I know my daughter must suffer keenly in this experiment. For her sake, I dread to tell you my reply to the missionaries. Go tell them that they may take my little daughter and that the great spirit shall not fail to reward them according to their hearts." So she is not happy about this. And this is not like a good thing, but she acknowledges that no, it has to happen. she need, you know, she needs an education. And unfortunately, the only way for her to do- get that is through these missionaries who are going to strip her culture away. It's right. It, so I was reading this and I'm like, oh, man, I kind of thought it would be like she's like, no, fuck you. But she's like, no, this the real world is a lot more nuanced than that. And it would have been great had they just been able to get an education like within their homes with their families and still growing up in their culture. And but they're like, no, because you being Dakota or native is a bad thing. And we're not going to put up with that. And it's awful. And we're going to yeah, we're going to westernize you until you're basically just like us. Zikala Shah and eight other children were taken on a train to White's Indiana Manual Labor Institute. She was initially excited for this new experience. And who could blame her? Eight years old, I would have loved to be whisked away to an exciting new place. Right, and you're going with your friends. Yeah, and all your friends are really excited. Exactly. Yeah. But her enthusiasm was short-lived. On her second day at the school, the missionaries took their first step in stripping Zikala Shah and the other children of their culture. They took the children and hacked off their traditionally long hair. This gets worse. Zikala Shah tried to hide under a bed. When she was found, they dragged her out, tied her to a chair, and cut off her long braids. That's terrible. She wrote later, then I lost my spirit. Like, this was the moment that they they took her spirit away from her. In the Dakota Sioux culture, having your hair cut off was a sign of a coward and deeply shameful. Like, to have long hair was an honorable thing, yeah, and to was, cut it off was like... And you hear that a lot in a lot of different cultures. So, yeah, the fact that they're, like, force, forcibly removing their hair 
is a terrible thing. They tied an eight-year-old child to a chair and hacked After off her hair. After dragging her out from under a bed. Yeah. She was so scared. Yeah. Like, I thought normal haircuts were traumatizing right. as a child, let alone having this deep cultural tie to my hair. Like, it's so fucked up. Yeah. The school tried to prepare Zikala Shah for a career as a housekeeper, you know, since she was a girl. But she was determined to get more out of her education if she was right? stuck She's in like, this I... hellhole. Yes, that's <laughs> she, what I was going to say. She was going to make it count. She learned to play piano, violin, and read and write. Zikala Shah would write of this time in her life in The School Days of an Indian Girl, in which she expressed her devastation of being stripped of her culture, but also her enjoyment of learning. Because again, reality is really a lot more read nuanced. That book. I need to find it and read it. Okay, the first, like, several chapters I found online, and that's where I got a lot of these quotes from, and I will share that link. Okay, good. Because a lot of times when we cover writers, it's like, oh, man, I don't have time to buy and read the book. But being right. able to read that in her own words was really amazing. Right. In 1887, Zikala Shah left the school and returned to the Yankton Reservation and her mother. However, like the saying goes, you can't go home again. While Zikala Shah had dreamed of returning to her native home and culture, she didn't feel like part of the tribe or like their traditions were hers anymore. Additionally, the tribe was beginning to conform more to the encroaching white culture. So it's not only does she feel like she's lost something, but the tribe has changed because of the encroaching culture. Exactly. And that's exactly what her mother said would happen. Yep. At some point in her teenage years, Ikala Shah, who was born, as I said, Gertrude Simmons, adopted her native name, which means red bird or like cardinal, I think is a That's more pretty. literal transa- translation, as a way of taking control of her identity and honoring her heritage, which I we always talk about how important names are and saying people's names. And I always love those stories when someone's like, this is my name, motherfuckers. Right. Zikala Shah would live on the reservation with her mother for three years until she was 15 years old before she decided to return to the White's Indiana Manual Labor Institute to further her education. She continued to study the piano and violin and eventually began teaching music until she graduated in 1895. Yeah. She's like going all on board and all they're all they're trying to do is teach her to read and write and like, yeah, you could be a housekeeper. We don't actually really give a shit what you do. Right. We're not preparing you like for college or anything. Upon receiving her diploma, Zikala Shah gave a speech on inequality and women's rights because she's a fucking boss. The speech was so good. A local newspaper wrote about it, praising her. This is what happens when you educate women. We become queens and use it against you. Which is why education has largely been denied to women because they know. The patriarchy knows. They know. After Zikala Shah graduated, her mother expected her to return home to the reservation. However, she was not done pursuing her education. She earned a scholarship to Earlham College in Richmond, Indiana. Wow. At the time, it was unusual for women to pursue higher education, particularly women of color, because oh, yeah. the world's a nightmare. The first college to accept African-American women had only opened in 1833. So, like, like I don't know, 60 years earlier? 60? Yeah, because this is 1895, and the first one opened in yeah. 1833. So, like, 62 Not years? a lot. Not a lot of time. The kind of education women could receive was also limited. Again, they were not preparing women to, like, become doctors or no. lawyers or, you know, 
they well, were just like happened in the learn last, some that stuff only so happened you, in the last like hundred years. Yeah, they're like learn some stuff Less so than. you can be clever and you know banter with a gentleman who will marry you, and then you right. don't and then, have and to you, worry. And then you entertain guests at parties. Oh my God! Look, she knows her times tables. Isn't that magnificent? It was like that one chick I think I covered that they brought her to like court because she was super smart, and they found her like entertaining because she was super smart. Oh my God. Was that Sorwana? No, I don't remember who it was. I remember they were super fascinated by how intelligent she was, too, though. Maybe. No, maybe. I don't know. I know she was, too. But yeah, there was. And then she, like, beat down the, like, not actually beat down, but, like, in a, they had, like, a knowledge competition and she, like, kicked ass and everyone was like, oh, shit. <laughs> she drops the mic on knowledge. Right, and just walks, walks away. Yep. So like her previous school, Earlham College was a Quaker school, which had just begun admitting non-Quakers in 1865. There, Zeke Kalashaw continued to feel a sense of otherness among her mostly white classmates. And I say mostly because maybe there is another person of color, but let's be honest. They're They're, like maybe one other person. person. This is Indiana in the 1800s. Yeah. Yeah. No offense, Indiana. Much love, Indiana, but we all know who you are. And we all know who Minnesota was at this time, too. But just a bunch of white Norwegians. Yeah. (laughs) Super pale. Like, people are, like, comparing how many veins they can see. (laughs) Ludifus is gross. Uh, Just saying. Yeah. I've never tried it, and I I don't want to. I am, like, super pale, though. Like, I am, too. I can't see my veins, but I'm super fucking pale. Okay, so uh, she felt the sense of otherness. However, she began leading the pack after giving a speech titled Side by Side, which won her the Indiana State Oratorical Contest. Yeah, yeah Oratorical Contest in 1896. I could not find the speech, which I was very disappointed about. So if anyone has a copy, email us at whiningabouthistory at gmail.com because yeah, I want to read it. That would be really interesting. Zikala Shah continued to be brilliant at Earlham. In addition to her studies, Zikala Shah began collecting and writing traditional stories from different native tribes. Oh, that's awesome. She then translated the stories into Latin and then English oh, to make them Christ, accessible Latin. to children. I know. I'm like, I, what? Like, Is it, wasn't Latin a dead language by then? Well, I don't know. Dead language now. Unfortunately, she came down with a serious illness oh, no. six weeks before graduating and was unable to finish. What? So she, was, she wasn't able to graduate because she got sick. There were some financial issues there, too. But I was like, guys, just fucking give it to her. It's I get it's, it's a month and a half. Six fucking weeks. But, like, just do it. Just give it to her. Damn it. See, Kala Shaw hadn't lost her love of music. She traveled to Boston on a scholarship to study and teach violin at the New England Conservatory of Music for two years. Wow. Yeah. She then worked at Carlisle. Like, Fuck that. I couldn't get one degree. I'm going to get a different one. Right. She's like, ah, I'm just going to keep doing my thing. And she, she, there are all these pictures of her with her violin and they're. They're so romantic. I'm not trying to break her down to her appearance, but she's got this beautiful long hair. She's in these oh, white good. dresses with her violin. And I'm like, I just want a picture of you on my wall so I can look at you and then fall asleep and just feel more powerful. <laughs> Maybe we'll just we'll have to like make a poster of different women and yeah. she can be on there. So after that, she worked at uh, Carlisle Indian Industrial School in Pennsylvania teaching children music. What is with, like, all of these things? The first one was, like, manual labor, and then this one's industrial, like... Yeah, it's because... (sighs) 
because both of those sco- both of these schools were primarily meant to educate like trade schools, people of color. This one specifically Native American children. And so, and I, I will get into it, it's but it's just, mostly just reading and writing and then like maybe like a get trade. a, yeah, maybe you can get like a low level Like you job. said, like they were going to teach her to be a housekeeper. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Exactly. There's nothing wrong with being a housekeeper, but no, be, no, someone I telling meant, you like, that's all you can be well, because like, you're having a woman? having a whole school like dedicated to stuff like that, like here, we'll teach you basics and then we'll teach you menial labor. Right. Like that just makes me like want to punch someone and gag at the same time. That's <laughs> a very aggressive reaction. <laughs> I love it. So the school was a boarding school for Native American students and was the first federally funded school of its kind that wasn't on a reservation. Ooh. So that's cool. However, its origins were not great. Yeah, I figured. Its founder, General Richard Henry Pratt, <laughs> which be- uh, did believe in the equality of Native American people, but thought that the solution to their education was immersing them in Euro-American culture as it was dominant in society. So they're like, no, Native American people are totally equal, but they also need to completely give up everything yeah, about their culture. They cultures. need to adjust to our culture. Yeah, they need to adapt to us because we're the dominant culture. Like, fuck you. The idea that Native Americans needed to assimilate to white culture in order to survive was pervasive at the time. And this theme will keep popping up. So it's going to get shitty. Just buckle up. Zeke Kalashaw naturally was not on board with this line of thinking and conducted debates regarding the treatment of Native American people and wrote articles that detailed Native American life. Her articles were published in Atlantic Monthly and Harper's Monthly, along with like a bunch of other publications. Yeah. In these articles, she was critical of the whole Native American boarding school system and the forced relocation of Native Americans to reservations. God, I wonder why. Other writers at the time were much more upbeat when addressing these issues, but let's be honest, none of them were probably directly affected by the shitty treatment, so it was a totally fine system for them. I was like, oh, I don't care what happens to you. It doesn't affect me. It's working great for me. I'm very happy. Naturally, her opinions ruffled the feathers of the higher ups at the school because she was directly criticizing their whole deal. Oh, yeah. She's like, "Mm, no. Like, and I think it's cool that she was teaching at the school because I feel like she must have been a very positive influence. But she's like, guys, we need to change the way this is happening because the answer is not assimilation. To keep her busy and get her out of the way, she was sent out west to recruit students. See, Kalashaw took this time to visit her mother, who was living on the Yankton Reservation. Okay, so her mom's still in the same place. Yep. She found that her mother, brother, and his family were living in squalor, and despite the land being... Despite the land uh, belonging to the Dakota tribe, white settlers were moving in anyway. So it's like, the whole idea... Was okay. Well, you guys can have this land, and yeah. that'll be yours, and we won't. We'll like leave you alone. And even then, it's like, no, we kind of want this. So fuck you, right? It's like mm, we changed our mind, right? So when Zikala Shah returned to Carlisle, tensions only worsened between her and the administration. She was opposed to their assimilation policies, and they felt the only way for Native American children to survive was to become as white as possible. They only trained their students to prepare for low-level jobs, ensuring they would remain subservient and in poverty. There was no idea of, like, building them up through education. 
Things finally came to a head in 1901 when Zikala Shah was fired from the school. That same year, she published an article in Harper's Monthly that told of one of the students who said he felt that he had lost his identity after attending the school. Jeez, I wonder why. Right. But I mean, that must have been so powerful because that's exactly how she had felt after receiving her education. Zikala Shah returned to the Yankton Reservation to help care for her struggling family. Upon her return, Zikala Shah became a clerk at the Bureau of Indian Affairs at the Standing Rock Indian Reservation. There, she met Captain Raymond Telefesi Bonin. I'm so sorry. I cannot pronounce that, like, that middle name. Uh, he was also a member of the Dakota tribe and also had a mix of Native and European heritage. That's so, like, awesome. That must have been the coolest first date ever. Like, oh, yeah, you know, my mother's Dakota. My father's European. Oh, my God. That's Me such a crazy too. coincidence. The two got married and soon moved to Unta Ore Reservation in Utah, where Raymond was reassigned because he was not part of the military, obviously. They would- I didn't realize they had, like, their own sections of military on reservation yeah and i wonder if it was because he was of dakota descent maybe i didn't get super into native american people in the military for the purposes of this story no, that's fine <laughs> that, that's something i'm gonna have to look into well, I just, I i'm just saying of- in general i didn't know because you know usually you just live in like on base housing you'd think yeah like, so the fact that he is assigned to a reservation yeah, I mean, it's interesting to me. I'd like to know more about military presences on reservations, American yeah. reservations and how that whole yeah, if thing anyone works. has information on that. Please yeah, please email, email us. us at whiningabouthistory at gmail.com. So they would live in Utah for the, uh, with the Ute people for 14 years. So that the Ute tribe was the one that was on that particular reservation. Okay. During this time, Zikala Shah met William F. Hansen, a professor and composer at, uh, who was like Brigham Young University. And nice. all I could think of was the that's, fucking that's South terrible. Park song. <laughs> Just about like the Mormons oh, and, yeah. Because yeah. I'm a bad person. But here's the thing. Okay, if you have not listened to the Book of Mormon musical, do it now. But do not do it at work like I did because you will be laughing your ass off in the middle of yeah. a quiet office everyone's gonna be like oh you're like what's so funny and you will have to tell them you're laughing at the book of mormon written by the guys that did south park right and that's yeah. either gonna go very well for you or, or very, very poorly, poorly. <laughs> that's when you just go oh i'm listening to this awesome podcast i'm listening to this awesome podcast it's, it's called, called whining about, about history, history. <laughs> the hosts are just hilarious so uh, the two of them obviously connected over music and began working on an opera together called Ooh, cool. the Sundance Opera. So this opera is fucking badass because it was based on a sacred Sioux ritual, which the American government had prohibited the Ute people from performing. So like, so they were part of the Sioux Nation too. The Ute yeah, people. so the, the, the so Sioux Nation is huge. The Sioux Nation is like a big umbrella, and then there's like the Dakota. The Ute. And then Lakota, I also read, is yep. the same as Dakota, but there's, there's like a regional dialect yeah. thing. Because I was trying to figure that out. And that was a whole rabbit hole. But I was like, I just need to figure out what to say for this podcast. It was really interesting, oh, yeah. though. It really is. So it was basic. So this opera was basically a beautiful musical middle finger to the oppressive government. Which is fantastic. I love it. I, so and much. I love that the other guy was like, "Yeah, let's do this." Yeah, he was. He was totally on board. He's like, "Fuck yeah, we're gonna piss off the government." 
When the opera premiered in 1913, it included a lot of the Ute people, but non-native people held the leading roles, which, boo, sucks. It's cool that the Ute people were a part of the performance, but, you know. It's probably one of those things that they were like, well, no, you know, we might not get anyone to come if we only cast, you know, right people, which is just terrible. But well, and if this, is, if this is an opera, too, and Native American people are denied uh, a education. good education, yeah. how many of them are trained opera singers? Right. You know, so I'm not I'm trying not to make excuses for it. It just sounds like it was just kind of one of those things that sucked. This became the first opera co-authored by a Native American person. Ooh. So on the non-sucky side, yeah, Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I like that. And I like that it's not just Native American woman. It's just Native American in She general. was the first in general, completely. Which is great. The Sundance Opera was met with much acclaim and made the rounds being performed by troops in rural areas before finally premiering in New York in 1938. However... When the opera was advertised in New York, they conveniently never mentioned Zikala Shaw as a co-author, giving sole credit to William F. Hansen. And I like to think he had nothing to do with that. It was just whitewashing, but damn it. And I mean, it's like the psychologist I covered that the guy, she ended up getting covered up, not necessarily because the men weren't giving her credit, but because when it was translated, they just left the woman out. Yeah. I don't think that's what happened in this specific instance. I think they were just purposely it could have been cutting a little bit of her both. out. Well, because the, the opera was written in the United States and then that's performed true. in New York City. It's not like, I think they're just being shitty and elitist and crappy. A little bit of everything. A little bit. There's a lot of bullshit going on. Layers there's a lot of, of negativity. It's a crappy onion and every layer you peel away, there's more racism and misogyny and bullshit. Zikala Shah continued to face assimilationist sentiments even within her own community. When she became the secretary and editor of the Society of American Indians uh, magazine, she found that they also had an assimilationist way of thinking. They did also promote self-determination among Native people and did advocate for Native Americans to receive full American citizenship. So they they were trying to promote Native Americans, but they were also like, we should assimilate, which Zikala Shah was like, no, why the fuck should we have to learn to play by their rules? Other people that come from Europe get to keep their traditions. Why can't we keep ours? Exactly. Especially because we were fucking here first. If right? you really like, want to play me. that game. <laughs> Zikala Shah also criticized the Bureau of Indian Affairs for their policy, which prohibited Native American children from speaking their native language wow. or engaging in cultural practices. That's terrible. This organization is still around, and I hope it's less shitty, but we'll see. Right. You know? Now remember, all of those traditional stories and legends that she was collecting... They were published as a collection titled Old Indian Legends in 1919 to great acclaim. Even Helen fucking Keller wrote a letter to Zikala Shah praising the book because empowered women empower women. Yes. Hell yeah. And I'm just over here like sniffling it up. So sorry about that. You're just, this um, story is touching. It's so touching. Yes, no, I'm crying. That's totally what (laughs) it is. Oh my God, racism is crappy and the American government's a bunch of bastards. They are. Yeah. (laughs) Zikala Shah continued to promote Native cultures. Throughout the 1920s, she campaigned for Native Americans to be given citizenship rights. Because let's remember, the lack of citizenship rights denied Native Americans the right to vote, among other things. That was their whole bullshit. Yeah. 
1924, the Indian Citizenship Act was passed to give Native Americans citizenship rights. However, it didn't apply to everyone and didn't give them full rights. And it was like, yada, yada, yada. Bullshit, it was like bullshit, bullshit. a little shuffle in the right direction. In fact, Native Americans weren't guaranteed the right, the bleh, weren't guaranteed the right to vote in every state until any guesses. What women was 1920? Women so... was white and black women was 1920. Asian women was 1942 or 43, I think. 1959. 1962. I was so close. I was going to say 63. It's so painfully long, though. That's ridiculous. And is that just women or is that Native Americans in general? Native Americans weren't given the right to vote in all 50 states. So some places they could vote, but it was finally, they were finally able to vote in all 50 states in 1962. So whichever state was holding out until 1962, fuck you. Even if it was us. I don't think it was, but fuck you. Fun fact of the American bureaucracy, uh, the 14th Amendment defines citizens as anyone who was born in the U.S. However, it was interpreted as not applying to Native people. Somehow. Somehow they were not actually born here. Yeah, that's bullshit. Because the Indian Citizenship Act didn't grant full citizenship rights to everyone, Zikala Shah and her husband founded the National Council of American Indians with the goal of uniting the different tribes to fight for full citizenship through suffrage. The catalyst for the founding of the organization was the fight against some outrageous persecution from the government. See, Congress was trying to pass a bill called H.R. 7826, which is a lot more sinister than its crappy name sounds. This bill would allow Congress to imprison any Native American person for six months for no reason and without trial. That is the biggest bullshit I have ever heard. Can you imagine? And it gets worse somehow. One particular asshat, William Williamson, whose parents clearly hated him. Maybe that's why he hates the rest of the world. Yeah, he's like, my parents gave me this dumb fucking name, so I'm going to spend my life being a dick to everyone. What did he do? He argued that Native American people actually wanted this bill to be passed. They totally want to be locked up for no reason by the government for six months. And then be and then it would have given them the right to like find people like during the imprisonment or after for perceived infraction. Like that's oh my God. Yeah. The organization was founded to fight this kind of bullshit and educate Native people to be more aware of these kinds of issues and fight back. It's like, guys, we got to get organized. We got to tell all the William Williamsons of the world where to shove it. (laughs) Good God. So Zikala Shah acted as the organization's speaker, president, and primary fundraiser until her death. Wow. So she was running the show. Yeah. Throughout her life, Zikala Shah wrote about Native American experience, advocated for rights, and published Native legends. Much of her work expressed the struggle between her Native culture and the predominantly white society around her and her struggle to find her own identity. And that reminded me a lot of Audre Lorde trying to, she's like, I'm black, I'm a lesbian, I'm a woman, like, I don't really know where I fit. One of her most notable works was Oklahoma's Poor Rich Indians, an orgy of graft and exploitation of the five civilized tribes, legalized robbery. So actually, Winding Crime covers this case. I believe that's it in their um, indigenous crimes episode. 
please listen to it because it's basically a bunch of corporations that are stealing land from Native American people and murdering them and no one actually giving a fuck. Like they were do like the tribes were doing very well. They were prospering. They were self-sufficient. And then a bunch of people came in and they're like, no, I'm taking your shit, which I mean, hello, Western history. She co-authored the book with two other Native American activists. The book revealed, quote, the corrupt land allocation policies in place at the time in Oklahoma and resulted in her appointment as an advisor to the U.S. government's government's Merriam Commission of 1928, the findings of which eventually led to several important reforms. So very long and sad story short, the Merriam Commission was a national study of conditions and treatment of Native Americans. The commission revealed that, like what everyone basically knew, that Native American people were being treated like shit, having their land stolen, and being murdered and no one actually caring, which is still happening. The resulting report led to sweeping reforms, including the Indian Reorganization Act, which rejected the previous push of assimilation in favor of strengthening the tribes, their history, and their culture. So her book got her onto this commission, which then was a huge push against the assimilation idea that had been so pervasive throughout her life. Right. Zikala Shah died on January 26, 1938, in Washington, D.C., because of her husband's service in World War One, which, again, like he fought in World War One. I. I want to know more about that, too. She was buried in Arlington National Cemetery, so we could totally go visit her. Aw. She was buried under the name Gertrude Simmons Bonin, which I don't know how to feel about that entirely. Legacy. After Zikala Shah's death, her husband Raymond continued his involvement in the National Council of American Indians. He would later say of her legacy, quote, she had always wanted me to go on working in the event that she should go first. And so I am trying to do the things I know she would have done had she been here. It is not easy to go on without her. She and I always worked in everything side by side. Her interests were my interests and she never failed to help me wholeheartedly in my work. They were so in love. Yeah, I love adorable. it. In 1942, the organization ceased to exist after Raymond's death due to financial issues. However, it was revived in, the, in 1944 as the National Congress of American Indians. Bummer note, much of Zikala Shah's past work was dismissed by, like, the new people running it. Which I'm like, why? Because if you go onto the wiki page for that organization, immediately you see a picture of Zikala Shah. And they're like, she's a badass and she founded this and she's amazing. So... There is a crater on Venus named Bonin after her. In Aww. fact, all of the craters on Venus are named after notable women or have women's names. So yeah, that's I think, neat. I think a few, someone else had a crater named after them, too. Someone we covered. Yes. Yeah. There are so many women. I can't believe we were, like, having a hard time remembering them now. Uh, I know. God. I mean, we're... March will be a year. Yeah. we're. Th that's this insane. is our 39th episode, that's and that's more times two plus a bunch that's how many women we've covered right zikala shah used her voice and her experiences to advocate for better conditions for native americans and the preservation of their culture she knew firsthand just how damaging the push for assimilation was and fought against it until her dying day Aww. i thought this story was so cool because it was a great introduction for me and i hopefully our listeners just into how native people have had their culture stolen and erased and they're and i 
I had like a very basic understanding of a lot of the things that the government did to strip them of their culture. But some of the things like that bill where it was like, oh, we can imprison you for no fucking reason. Like, are you like it was that transparent? Yeah, that's like the biggest bullshit. Like it it totally. Oh, and the Native American people are totally cool with this because they didn't have anyone speaking for them because they weren't allowed into those spaces. And Zeke Kalashoff forced her way in and she's like, are you fucking kidding me? So that is her story, and I hope it was uh, interesting, if not kind of a bummer for everyone. But, like, she fought, and she kind of made the best of all every situation she found herself in, which I really admired. Right. I know. Now I feel like mine's, like, really dumb. <laughs> but it's gonna be fun. We it's, need it's seasonal. We need an uptick on this. We I need to finish this glass of wine and I need yeah. to smile. So uh feel free to skip this next section if you're not I don't know. If you're not in the holiday if you're spirit. You're not in the holiday spirit. Because I'm gonna co- cover Mrs. Claus. I Yay. am so freaking excited. This is gonna be a little bit of a weird one because it's basically just covering a bunch of pulp pop pulp culture. Pulp, pop culture. culture. Pulp pop. Um, because obviously not a real person shut your mouth um, if you are a they, young listener keep uh, believing I mean, I really you stop getting presents listener. after you stop believing um but like no it's been like they're they can't record any like shit Jesus. i am so sorry i did Don't not break the glass i did not mean to slam my glass down um <laughs> but like you know the true Real person, St. Nicholas. Yeah. They can't say that he ever had a wife. They technically can't say that he didn't because they don't know, but they're like, we're pretty sure he didn't have a wife. Well, they also can't say then that he didn't have a husband or a non-binary lover. So, yeah. Headcanon, Santa Claus is a sexy bear. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So the origin of Santa Claus having a wife is first mentioned in 1849. That's so recent. Yes. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, okay, maybe not super recent, Um, but more recent than I thought. So it it was mentioned in a story by James Reese, who is a Philadelphia-based Christian missionary, which shocks me. Not really, actually, when you finish it, but. I was like. um, So the story goes that an old man and a woman, um, both carrying bundles on their back, are given shelter in a home on Christmas Eve as weary travelers. The next morning, the children awake to a find a house, find a house with an abundance of gifts. Um, however, the couple is revealed not to be old Santa Claus and his wife, but the host's long lost elder daughter and her husband. Aww. So it ends up not being Santa Claus, but I just you know that was kind of where the, that was the, the seed first was him planted. having a wife was mentioned. Okay. Um, she's mentioned again in the Yale Literary Magazine in 1851, um, because she, the person whose name, um, the author was only given the initials A B, so it, like, I don't know who it was written by. Ab. Um, wrote quote, "Inbounded that jolly fat and funny old elf Santa Claus. His array was indescribably fantastic. He seemed to have done his best, and we should think had Mrs. Claus to help him." So he was behind like, he every great, great man, but, you know, there is a great woman who is putting up with his bullshit right. and, and then planning her moment. There, uh, three years later, she was mentioned again in a Christmas musical at the State Lunatic Asylum in Utica, New York. Oh my god! Um, which included an appearance by Mrs. Santa Claus with baby in arms. 
Um, and I will continue referring to her as Mrs. Santa Claus or Mrs. Claus as she has no given name. We should make her name. I know. That's what I was going to say. After this episode, we need to start like hashtag give Mrs. Claus a name or oh my something God. like that. Annabelle. Hashtag, hashtag name Mrs. Claus. I'll go through. She's had several iterations of names, but none are like official, like in different shows. And like someone said, maybe she's, you know, her name is Mary Claus or like something. Oh, like that's that. actually really I know good. I like that. Um, but yeah, we should like start a hashtag or name something. Mrs. Name Mrs. Claus. I don't know who owns that. I'm guessing no one owns No one that. owns Mrs. But Claus. But like we should like start something and be like, this is her name, bitches. Oh my God. Yeah, because now that you mention it, she is only known by her association to her husband. She right. is Mrs. Exactly. Claus or um, Mrs. Santa Claus. And yeah, I'll touch on a few of the big ones where they, they give her a name. Um, but yeah, in like popular culture she doesn't have a first name that is crazy i never really thought about her not like, having like a name about it, his name is nicholas yeah or nick or chris kringle or, or like, nick he has multiple names she has nothing jesus so she was mentioned her first like description um was in 1862 and then again in 1864 um, where she's described wearing Hessian high boots, a dozen short red petticoats, an old large straw bonnet, and she is said to bring women a wide selection of finery to wear. Mm. So, yeah. She's blinging them up. Um, she becomes, the in one tale in uh, 1878, called Lil's Travels in Santa Claus Land, which is a great... It's, it's, a, it's a kid's story. Okay. Um... There's a woman who is the keeper of the naughty and nice ledger. While they never actually name her as Mrs. Santa Claus, it someone another character in the book later muses that it probably was. It's like they do everything but outright say this right, is okay. Mrs. Claus. The quote from it is, there was a lady sitting behind a golden desk writing in a large book and Santa Claus was looking through a great telescope and every once in a while he would stop and put his ear to a large speaking tube. Presently, he said to the lady... Put down a good mark for Sarah Buttermilk. I see she is trying to conquer her quick temper. Two bad ones for Isaac Clappertongue. He'll drive his mother to the insane asylum yet. Sarah Buttermilk. I don't know. I like Isaac, Isaac Clappertongue. Clappertongue. I want to name some cats Buttermilk yeah. and Clappertongue. But then, as I said, like later on in that same children's book, when Lil is talking to her sister, you know, her sister's like, oh, that was probably Mrs. Claus. Right. You know, in. 1887, author E.C. Gardner uh, wrote an article called A Hickory Backlog um, with an even more detailed description of Mrs. Claus. His description was, she was dressed for traveling and cold weather. Her hood was large and round and red, but not smooth. It was corrugated. That is to say, it consisted of a series of rolls nearly as large as my arm, passing over her head sideways growing smaller toward the back until they terminated in a big button that was embellished with a knot of green ribbons. Its, it's general appearance was not unlike that of a familiar pictorial, pictorial beehive, except that the rolls were not arranged spirally. The broad white ruffle of her lace cap projected several inches beyond the front of the hood and waved back and forth like, like the single leaves of a great white poppy as she stood emphatically in her discourse. Her art... Her art <laughs> Her outer garment was a bright-colored plaid worsted cloak reaching in within about six inches from the floor. 
Its size was most voluminous, but its fashion was extremely simple. It ha- it was fastened at the throat by a huge ornamented brass hook and eye, from which hung a short chain of round twisted links. Her right arm protruded through a vertical slit at the side of the cloak, and she held in her hand a sheet of paper covered with figures. The left arm, on which she carried a large basket or bag, I couldn't tell which, was hidden by the ample folds of the garment. Her countenance was keen and nervous, but benignant? I don't know what that means. Mrs. Claus proceeds to instruct the architect gardener on the ideal modern kitchen, a plan of which he includes in his article. Yep. That was super detailed. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing. If you think about like what Mrs. Claus is known for, she's known for baking cookies, yep. taking care of the elves, and yep. taking care of the reindeer. And then like, telling her thing and then uh, yeah and telling santa tells, to calm yeah. the fuck down every now and then when he down. when he acts like a dick <laughs> right um so after lurking in the background of santa focused tales for a few decades uh mrs claus finally got a starring role in 1889 in a poem by Catherine lee bates wrote uh that is titled goody santa claus on a sleigh ride um and if you don't know because i didn't know Apparently, goody is short for good wife, which is a very, oh. like, polite form of missus. So, like, that's not her name. Her name is not goody. It's, that actually makes sense because, you know, sometimes you hear about... another term for missus. You hear about stories from, like, uh, the, the pilgrims. It's like, oh, goody sense. Exactly. Samson. And so that and means it's it's a polite... It's short for good wife, which is a polite form of address used in place of missus. I'm going to call you goody Kelly now. Okay. That's a little weird, but okay. So this poem, Mrs. Claus has a few bones to pick with her jolly husband. Yes. She's depicted (laughs) as a dutiful wife prone to asking the odd passive aggressive questions. Oh, my God. Such as Santa, wouldn't it be pleasant to surprise me with a present? Santa, wouldn't wouldn't it be pleasant if you picked up your fucking boxers off of the bedroom floor every Um, other day, you son of a bitch? She she asked that after having laid out the fact that Santa gets all the glory of the joyous Christmas story, while poor little goody Santa Claus gets nothing but the work. Oh my god. She is women's history. I I absolutely (laughs) love this depiction of her. So two stanzas later, the resentment gets more intense. Yes. You you just sit here and grow chubby off the goodies in my cubby from December to December till your white beard sweeps your knees. For you must allow my good my good man, but you're a lazy woodman and rely on me to foster foster all our fruitful Christmas trees. The goodies in my cubby. We all know. I'm going to start calling it that. sit here and grow chubby off the goodies in my cubby. Oh my god. This is amazing. So but- eventually she convinces her husband um, to let her come with and, you know, ride in the sleigh on Christmas Eve and help with the present delivery. Okay. Um, he It takes more like needling in the sleigh, um, but she eventually lets him convinces him to actually let her like go down the chimney um where she mends a hole filled sock of of poverty stricken children and then fills them with toys so she's living it up hey if you ever want to go down my chimney ever again you're gonna let me go down this chimney and make some kids fucking happy all right exactly um there's a lot of other tropes that come after this um that is basically like oh mrs claus delivers presents when santa can't it was kind of established in the 1914s when there was a one-act comedic play about it. That ba- Except he wasn't indisposed. This was, she decided to steal the sleigh while he was asleep. 
um, because she got fed up with no recognition. Oh my god, I love her. One of the quotes from it is, here I sit year, a- year after year in Iceland. So apparently this is Iceland. I don't know. Dressing dolls and making candy bags and aprons and slippers and caps and whatnot. And when they are all done, Mr. Santa Claus just packs in his sleigh and hitches his deer and away he goes to have all the fun and all the things. She's so he, like the long-suffering wife right. who's doing so all the real the sleigh, work. But then, of course, you know, he chases her down and refers to her as my helpmate and promises to let her come along on all future deliveries. And so, like, you know, there's that trope, but that trope kind of got added to as time went on, particularly in like the night in 1963 of how Mrs. Santa Claus saved Christmas. But the trope in that, that that got added was that she accidentally was delivering the wrong toys. So she would deliver ribbons to tomboys and dump trucks to like doll loving girls. I like how Um, they qualify it as it. It's not just dump trucks to girls, but girls who particularly like dolls. dolls. Yeah, I know. Because girls can like dump trucks. So, you know, like they were like, oh, you know, she tries to help, but she messes up in like kind of a funny. And I'm like, that's no, I'm not okay with that. She she's like the ditzy, well-meaning wife. Right. Who like uses salt instead of sugar in the gingerbread cookies and you just choke that shit down because you don't want to hurt her feelings. (laughs) So since um, this is more the next part is um, on her appearance. Okay. So, you know, as I said, like she's originally depicted as like fairly heavy set, white haired, old, you know, baking cookies somewhere in the background of this whole Santa Claus myth and then in the 90s she gets abs in a bikini and she's not quite blonde (laughs) um (laughs) but you know like she's been shown variously helping with toy production overseeing the elves um actually okay apparently i misread my notes it is worth noting that when when not portrayed as having white hair as an elderly she is often portrayed as having red hair I feel the, like they say Saint this Nicholas is, is like that too. This is because red hair is the is the color that is most that most commonly fades to white with age. Oh, I'm like that's actually really interesting. I didn't know that. Um, she's almost always depicted wearing a fur dress of either red or or green, and that you'll that's probably the most common image of Mrs. Claus you're gonna see is that like jolly old. Mrs. Claus with the basically. tiny yeah, glasses. Yeah, tiny spectacles. She's basically and, like, chick old Santa bonnet. You know. Um, however, and I actually this I remember this. Um, she played a major role in the Christmas special Rudolph and the Red Nosed Reindeer, and in uh, nineteen sixty four. Was that the stop motion one? One of them. Actually, okay. I don't. Yeah, that was the stop motion Rudolph. In this one, she's just seen pestering um, her husband to eat, lest he become a skinny Santa. Oh, my God. She's um, skinny shaming him? Yeah, exactly. Um, she's also in Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July, which is a movie that unites Rudolph and Frosty the Snowman, which I, I had never one. heard of before. So oh. I'm actually, I'm like, um, and he, she, so th- that's the first time you hear a first name because he at one point calls her Jessica. She doesn't Which look like a Jessica. A ju- no no, no offense okay to the that. Jessicas out um, there. And then she's also in in Santa Claus com- is coming to town, which this is the one I remember. Cuz in this movie he's known as Chris Kringle mm-hmm. and he goes to a town called um it's apparently not in my roles or my notes. But he goes to a town that's like super depressing. 
I remember that because it's, yeah. isn't it run by some like super, super greedy yeah, exactly. son of a bitch? And so she is known as what? He doesn't he fall in love with her? Yes. Yeah. And she and she's petite or not petite? Like she's skinny. Apparently, she's known as Jessica in this one too. God. Um, of all the names, they were really into yeah, Jessica. She's, she's red haired, like she's young. She's yeah. young, red haired, and then she has kind of like the, the typical shape of that era. Um, and yeah, they fall in love and, you know, they marry in a nearby forest and she helps him like bring Christmas to the town. Yeah, because the, it, oh, isn't it like the Baron Meister or yeah, something that has, like, like the that? Yeah, like Meister and all those people in it. I, I don't know I, if it's, that's the one I'm thinking of, but it was basically, there is this like Burgermeister. Really, Burgermeister! Yes! Burgermeister Meister Burger. Yeah. Isn't that his full name or something? <laughs> or Burgermeister, I think it might be. Because his parents also hated him. Yeah, it was, it was terrible. And that's when they were like, Santa's trying to figure out how to bring toys to the kids and make them happy yep, because the Burgermeister like is a, a prick. Or something. That's right. Yeah. Oh my God. Can we... Okay, we're going to stop gonna, recording. We're going to go watch that. We're going to go watch some old school stop motion Christmas things. Yeah. And we're going to get our holiday spirit on because life is too depressing. Right. Um. So one of the first television musicals, she, she, there was it was called Mrs. Santa Claus in 1996. And she was actually played by Angela Lansbury. Which oh, damn. Sweet. Um. Neglect. This is the I've never seen this movie. So this is like the premise of this movie. Neglected by her husband, she goes to New York in 1910 and gets involved in agitating for women's rights and against child labor and toy manufacturing. Oh my God! Yes, and I'm like, please. I want to watch this. What in was that this movie? Called? It's called Mrs. Santa Claus. Oh my God! I wonder what her name is in that. She goes by the name Anna I in that like movie. That. I like that. Uh, she has also appeared in the Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy. Yes. Which is fantastic. In that one, she's a vampiress and her yep. name is Nancy. <laughs> um, who turns Santa into a vampire and then tries to take over the world. Like, that sounds really weird. I remember um, that. She also showed up in one epi- a really weird episode of uh, Robot Chicken Christmas. Yes. Um, where she... She like the North Pole radiates her and becomes like a giant monster that Goku, Gohan, and Rudolph yes! have to destroy. <laughs> which that just sounds ridiculous. It was so good. I love Robot Chicken. Um, apparently, in she's mentioned in uh, Charlie Brown Christmas when Charlie Brown's sister, right when she's writing to Santa, she asks, "How is your wife?" Aww. Uh, later in it's Christmas time again. Charlie Brown she writes to Santa's wife herself. Um, and when Charlie Brown comments on this. That some people call her Merry Christmas. Like Mary, like M-A-R-Y. Yeah. I have to say, I Mary is definitely in the front running for me for um, name Another Mrs. common Claus. name that comes up in Charlie Brown's Christmas Tales is Samantha. Because she, she, she writes Santa Claus as Samantha Claus inadvertently thinking Samantha is Santa Claus's wife. Aww. Which is kind of cute. Some other ones that more recent ones, uh, Boost Mobile created some controversy with an ad featuring Mrs. Claus in bed with a snowman. Hell yeah, uh, get it, Mrs. So Claus. So that was like, you know, a whole like thing about like, you know, Mrs. Claus being bad type of thing, you know. That's super funny. And then a British clothing store named Marks and Spencer. This was in 2016. Um, launched an integrated marketing campaign centered around a modern interpretation of Mrs. Claus. The campaign included a three-minute ad released in November 11th, 2016, which sees Mrs. Claus receiving a letter from a seven-year-old child asking for help with a gift for his older sister, whom he has a difficult relationship with. 
The ad depicts Mrs. Claus as more modern than previous examples with her riding a snowmobile and flying a helicopter while Santa's out delivering the traditional gifts in his sleigh. Fuck yes. At the conclusion of the ad, she says to Santa, well, wouldn't it be fun if you knew all my little secrets, suggesting she has a secret life assisting with Christmas present delivery. She's like a vigilante Christmas goddess. And she's like, I'm going to help all the other kids and like get real deep into their problems. I'm going to ride my snowmobile to the rescue. Um, And a lot of people really liked that ad. And they were like, yes, this is great. Like, let's bring a modern take on Mrs. Claus, which I 1000% agree. Yeah. Um, so in my research on this, I came across an article called This Year Mrs. Claus is Coming to, to, to Town and Not a Santa Sidekick, which was actually done by NPR. Ooh. And it's about um, women dressing as Mrs. Claus. So, you know, like men dress as Santa Claus and how um, people are actually like sh- she's actually starting to go out on her own and do visits like this is particularly um, in Texas, which is kind of weird. Me. Go Texas. <laughs> um, I'm, I, I'm a little surprised, but I'm happy. Pleasantly it's, it's surprised. It's talking about a Santa school, which now accepts Mrs. Claus. Love it. But yeah, there's. She said there's in this year there were 63 Mrs. Clauses enrolled, um, and that one of the Mrs. Clauses says five years ago there were barely any standalone opportunities for Mrs. Claus, and she was considered a trinket. Times are changing up north, and it's not a good old boys club anymore. Up north, I know. I love it. Um, uh, so the International Brotherhood of Real Bearded Santas voted to allow women in 2016. Since then, 200 Mrs. Clauses have joined. Oh my God. So it wasn't that there was no one around who wanted to do it. It's just that they couldn't. Right. Exactly. And, um, they're calling these women equal opportunity joy makers. Um, the teacher, Deanna Golden, um, said, this is her quote. We're not we're not a prop. We're not an appendage to Santa. We don't have to fill, fit a stereotype. So what they're seeing in these women that are portraying Mrs. Claus is a lot of them are ditching like that old school style cap she wears and the apron and like they're, you know, kind of making their own stories for Mrs. Claus. Right. Which I think is absolutely fantastic they're not looking like a victorian era granny right one of the miss one of the mrs clauses says it was hard for me to grapple with being a cookie maker at first so i've decided that she has an international baking company fuck yes you know um one of the other ones prefers to do balloon work so she brings like the reindeer and a sleigh full of balloons to like give to the kids you know so and one of them discusses she's like i want i wanted something that i could i said that said i could fly a sleigh like a regular's drive driver's license she's like i've come across ones that say oh ba- like things about baking cookies and helping with the reindeer she, she plans to bring up the disparity at next year's santa convention <laughs> to see if you know like i that would be really cool yeah like so one of the performers says, Mrs. Claus, the Mrs. Claus industry is still the Wild West. Performers are pondering whether her first name should be Molly or Mary, and businesses aren't sure what to pay her. Maybe whatever you're playing, you're paying right. Santa? They they predict it will all work out for the long long neglected Mrs. Claus. And and he um someone pointed out that one of the top like Mrs. Claus in the Dallas area just unrolled something called Christmas Eve tuckins where she'll come to your house for 20 minutes and wish your child like good night and tuck them in. Oh my 
god yeah so, so christmas magic yep. is everywhere this, the, the person says this is the last quote in the article it says as mrs claus comes of age in american culture she's going to be more valuable than santa with ease as she has no limits i love that well because mrs claus has been just such a background figure for so long and we if you say mrs claus everyone has kind of the same image yeah, pop in the their head granny. but we're so open to that changing and evolving. I mean, right. Santa Claus, it's kind of like... He is what he is. He's so set in stone. And I mean, I think it was the Mall of America just had their first black Santa Claus either this and year or last like, year. the fuck. Oh, like, not every- necessarily in a bad way. Like, some no, people in were, a bad way, I Some people say. were really into it. But yeah, like on the whole, people were like, that's not Santa. I was going to say, yeah, there, there was a lot of racism. Right. But I'm not being racist. It's just that's the way well, it's always the, been. The international whatever I called it, that I just now forgot. Santa Brotherhood yeah. of Beards. Um, something like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, there, you have to have a real beard in order to be yeah. like, in that. I'm sorry, I didn't know black people couldn't grow a fucking beard. I'm not like, saying they can't, but No, you know, but what like, I'm saying, yeah. like, to that whole racist know, backlash. Exactly, like, and people were hiding behind, well, I'm not racist, it's just that, like, what do I tell my kid? That's not what it is. Well, what do you, you tell your black kids people tell ra- their kids about white Santa? Like, right? Santa? Exactly. Okay, when I was, first of all, Kids are insane. They will believe 99% of what you tell them because they believe in magic and their minds are so much more malleable and like just, they reach just have further. them watch Santa Claus where the guy falls off the roof and then Tim Allen becomes Santa and then just be like, oh, the last Santa fell off the roof and this is the guy that took up the suit. That movie's super dark when I you think about it. I fucking love that movie. It's I love, I love that movie. It's so good. But he- here's my other thing. Okay, when I was a little kid, I thought logically santa can't be at every mall like why would he be at my mall of all the places right, in the world exactly so here's what i did completely on my own no one told me the story i was like well it's a bunch of elves little rascal style stacked on top of each yep. other in a big santa coat and i even told my mom once i was like mom I know that's not Santa because obviously he can't be everywhere at once. So that's a bunch of elves, you know, doing three people in a trench coat and pretending to be Santa because they're they're helping out. That's their job. And that yeah. was perfectly logical to me. Yeah. No, kids will. And that is such a batshit like <laughs> way of thinking. But you don't think you can explain no. a black Santa to your kids. You have thing, no I, imagination. I guarantee you, you wouldn't even have to explain it. No. The kids would just come up with something in their head and it would be fine. Yeah, you could probably just say, well, sometimes Santa's black. And the kid's going to be like, okay. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, whatever. Like, <sighs> like I would understand and a now- controversy like back when there wasn't integration, you know, like, and whites were very much like just, you know. Like, it would have been worse. I, c- I could see that because then like, how do you explain that to your kid? Like when they don't regularly see people of color. Well, that's like, when you whereas say. Whereas now it's like. We're such a mixed place that yeah. it's like, why wouldn't Santa be black or well, Asian and or even, any other race? Even back in the 60s, it's like, well, little Timmy, you see, we have this thing called institutionalized racism that is very pervasive <laughs> in this country, even today. And uh, we don't value human life equally. And it's a real problem. And uh, yeah, we're really like relying on your generation like, to figure read that shit the out. Riot act. <laughs> oh, God, that would be funny. Well, let me let me tell you a little thing about racism, Timmy. It is fucked up. Right. So, yeah, the. I do think that this is, like, the perfect time to, like, let Mrs. Claus just let loose and, you know, she can become whoever she wants. Because she's been just such a two-dimensional yeah, figure and now background. she can do whatever she wants. I, I, I kind of like the Mary. 
I like Mary I, uh, yeah. just because Merry Christmas. So maybe we should do a hashtag Mrs. Claus is Mary or something like that. Mary, Mrs. Mary Claus yeah. or something. Yeah. I so Let's there's get this, on board with this, people. I will retweet you. <laughs> there is a movie that's on Disney Plus. I think it was made just for Disney Plus called Noel. And yeah. it's got Anna Kendrick in it, and I fucking yeah, and love she, her. But she's like Santa Claus's sister. No, she is I thought she was the daughter. I haven't she seen was, it. She was the daughter, but then like the dad dies or something. I haven't seen it. And so it's her brother is supposed to become Santa Claus and he, and he runs out. away. And so she has to go and get him. So what I'm anticipating, I haven't seen the movie, is that be she her just becoming becomes, Santa. I think that's probably what happens. I really hope so. We should watch that movie and we'll get back to you. But <laughs> I ho- I think that's where it's going. It's like, why can't we have a, a lady Claus? Yeah. Why can't the why, why can't, can't we have a woman Claus in charge? deliver toys? Yeah. Like, because even in the Santa Claus, part of being Santa was finding a wife. In the yeah. second movie. Oh, that was the Spoiler whole point. Alert. You know, and so he had to find a wife to become Mrs. Claus. Yep. So why can't she be more of a thing? Yeah. We okay. need Mrs. Claus. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> That's it. Emily, what are you thankful for? Okay. Before I say what I'm thankful for, can I just say I fucking loved your segment. I loved your story. I loved getting to talk about Mrs. Claus. We need to do more of that. Because, because... She is a prominent female figure in our culture. Yeah, but she doesn't even have a fucking first name. I never thought about that. That's so fucked. Well, and that's why I was like, I, I just, I was like, I want to do someone related to Christmas because yep. you know Christmas is coming up, and that's my like, that's Your what I celebrate. Um, but I mean, even if you're not a Christmas person, people know the legends. Oh yeah, you know. And so I was like, does Mrs. Claus have a first name? And so, yeah, I, like, Googled it, and, yeah, one of the first things was, like, there was an article that was, what is Mrs. Claus's first name? And then the, the first line was, that's a trick question. She doesn't have one. Interesting question. The answer is no. <laughs> what is her like, name? Oh, that's no. terrible. So, okay. Well, I love that. Thank yes. you so much You're for welcome. sharing. Um, I'm actually thankful for a lot. I had, I've been kind of, like, up and down with my stress and being overwhelmed, but I do have a lot to be thankful for. Um jared and his dad did some work on the house and now i have a bathroom fan which i'm really excited about i'm almost 30 this is what i get excited about now you've been in that house for what like two years now you finally have a fan in your bathroom it'll be two years in like a couple months so not quite anyway uh what i'm also really thankful for though so at my office we did secret santas Mm -hmm. and so you do like little gifts throughout the week and that the holiday party you give like a bigger gift. It's usually like a gift card yeah, or something. Yeah, I get and that. you reveal who you are. Well, my boss had me. And so instead of getting a gift card, I got two books. One was like a little pocketbook that just had like a bunch of like revolutionary women and like little bios on it. You them. talk about our podcast all the boss. time. That's awesome. No, no, no. Like something completely unrelated to women's history will come up. And you're like, you know, actually, I was just researching this. <laughs> Hold <story."> on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I got that little book. But then I also got a big book by uh, MJ Jennings. And she was a- an Air Force pilot in, uh, I think it was Operation Iraqi Freedom. I'm only yeah. like, a hundred pages in so So is it about her it's about her journey to join the air force become a pilot um i'm gonna have to borrow that she she i i i might have this wrong because obviously i have not finished the book because it's been like two days but she was like shot down in iraq and then had her afghanistan fuck i haven't read the book she was but (laughs) so she she was shot down and like 
got her and her team to a safe place. And then she advocated for women to be allowed on the front lines in combat so positions. Cool. So Which she's they just, can be now. Yeah. So she's all around a fucking badass. Yeah. I might and have like, to read that when you're done. Her, her whole like origin story from what I've read so far is so incredible. You might have to do her when you're done with the book. No. And that's kind of my plan. I want to do... Um, a shallow dive but it's gonna be like sprinkled with a bunch of and then the book said this and yeah, in the book right. they said this so it's so it was I'm really excited because I get to learn about new women from herstory but also just like oh my boss like is supporting my herstory nerdism and it's it made me feel really right. good that like he's like oh I know you well enough to know you're gonna fucking freak out over this and I <laughs> right, did which is great like I was like <gasps> I mean that's exactly what you want to see when someone opens your gift yeah yeah I lost my shit and I actually I I had my other boss like the That's owner yeah. and I got him just a gift card because I know he likes Best Buy and I was like oh man I feel like I now I feel like shit I feel like I totally copped out on getting a gift card because I got something really special so yeah I'm really thankful That's and I'll nice. post I'll post a picture of the books on uh, our social media because I'm really excited social media is gonna blow up next week social media is gonna get lit as the kids say right Yep. Yeah, we can't include ourselves in that anymore. We're too no. old. No, we're we're old and we're sad and we're worn down. <laughs> yeah. So, Kelly, what are you thankful for? Um, I had it and now I forgot it. So, <laughs> thanks. Uh, give me a sec. Like seriously, I had something and I was like, "This is what I'm going to say," and now I, do I don't remember. All of the time. It was really good too. Was it something to do with family? No. Oh, it was. I want to say thanks to all of these other podcasts. We'll announce more as it gets closer that are giving us opportunities in 2020 to expand what we're doing. We're going to be doing a few collaborations with people um, and stuff like that. So I just I want I'm very thankful for people recognizing what we do and thinking we're good enough to collaborate and be on their podcast. Honestly, you guys, I have no idea what you're thinking, but we're super grateful. Yeah. Well, and it's it's cool because the like the history podcast community, especially like on Twitter, has been very supportive and everyone's like, share my stuff. Oh, I love you. I'll share your stuff all right, time. Right, like, like everyone's everyone, very nice. Yeah. And it's I think it's because everyone's so entrenched in history. It's like, oh my God, history was so fucked up. I can't be repeating these mistakes. I need to be a decent right. human being. But and, and yeah, I'm just I'm really thankful for what I feel like is gonna be moving into like a really good year for us. Yeah. And like we're we're really excited to collaborate with other amazing podcasts and we're going to have a ton more stuff for you. We're working on more Patreon content. We're thinking about doing like children's bedtime story recordings of women from history that are more appropriate than what we're saying because right. no let's, swearing. let's be honest, I'm dropping F-bombs in Jesus Christ like they're going out of style. Right. So um, it's Christmas though. It's festive to say Jesus Christ. Right, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, go join our Patreon um you can join for as little as one dollar a month one dollar one dollar one dollar okay (laughs) um you know and we'll we'll be forever grateful i mean you can also you know donate at higher tiers if you wish but you know one dollar will get you access to the content we will be doing um you know please go out and rate us five stars particularly you know apple that's a good way for people to find us but Mm -hmm. you know facebook 
really anywhere you listen, if you're able to rate, please, please rate us. You know, give us feedback, whatever. Just let us know you're out there. Yeah. You know, also, you can email us at whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com. You know, tell us about women in your life that, you know, you want to give a shout out or people you want us to cover or any, really anything. And we're all about promoting especially women but anyone who's doing stuff that's really cool that's really positive and right, like even, good even if stuff it's a guy we will shout him out we, yeah it doesn't have to be a woman like guy, our, girl, our say their name can be anyone yeah and that's why we that's why it is say their name because it's not gender specific we usually do women but i think it's just because our research kind of skews us in that direction facebook knows what we're all about yeah, exactly. and pushes articles about <laughs> Reddit, badass women you know, and then a lot of women follow us yeah too. exactly um and then of course check out our blog i'm still a little bit behind um i'm hoping to rectify that over christmas break um but that's just whining about yeah check us out all right, and then follow us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAHpod, and then Twitter at WAH underscore pod because WAH is like the Women's Association of History. Yeah, they or don't something. post a lot. No, but I they think they stole our name. How? I can't be mad at them. <laughs> I don't know. Not at all. If they were some like men's rights group, then I would I'd be, be like, super fuck pissed. you. <laughs> but no, that's fine. Well, you just have to remember the underscore on Twitter. Yes. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.